Welcome to Anyone Can Play Guitar, the podcast where we try to learn every Radiohead song on the guitar in order. My name is Austin Diaz. And I'm Nick Kendallsperger. Um, so with Amnesiac, did you just have the CD version of it, or did you get that special edition like that actually looked like a book? Uh, I had just the CD version. I do have now the vinyl version, but like it's a small vinyl. It's the small one, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have the small Kid A one, so this makes sense. Okay. Yeah. We are are following type. (laughs) We are nothing if not consistent. (laughs) I will say that the little Kid A vinyl drives me up the wall just because you have to flip it so many times. I hate that. It makes me... I never play it. You have to engage with uh, the art. Nick. No, I want 22 minutes of sound and then flip, not like eight minutes and then flip. No, no. Well, again, I'm going to show myself not to be a good Radiohead fan. I didn't know there existed a different version that came out back then. I just had the CD, like regular jewel case. But yeah, no, I'm not a Radiohead like I need to buy everything that they release. Like I just want to hear all the things. Yeah. And whatever format that is that's easiest to do that, I'm I'm down with. Right, which like what does that make us? Because mm. I was thinking about this the other day, like I feel like maybe I'm not a Radiohead fan. I'm a person that really likes Radiohead music. At least these days I feel like fandom encompasses or comprises being a completist. Like you're not just into the music, you're into like who are they dating? Who is Tom married to now? Like Mm. Um, what is Ed doing? <laughs> yeah, see, that has no, I don't really care. I don't Yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sorry, Ed, We've, you're great, but I don't know what you're doing. I know that Johnny is doing soundtracks, but that's just because I watched that Power of the Dog movie the other day. Oh, um, should I watch that? Is that good? Yeah, I mean, it was like, uh, I was listening, I was watching it, it's pretty good, but like the music, I was like listening to it, I was like, man, this music is great, and then I, I was like, oh, it's Johnny. Of course, yeah. <laughs> like, Exactly. I love what he did for the Phantom Thread. That is just like, anything he does. Anything he does for Paul Thomas Anderson is amazing. I mean, because like also there will be blood. Like how that releases at the end in the bowling alley. I've watched that movie just to get to the bowling alley scene again. <laughs> oh wow! So I think today also we should do our best of Amnesiac, like we did when we finished Kid A. So we'll have some thoughts about that later on. I'm not prepared, but I will be. Okay, you'll be prepared. Just think while we're talking what your favorites will be. So should we get to the final three tracks Let's do of it. Amnesiac? Yeah. So the first one up here is Hunting Bears. <laughs> is not in the chord book. Pulk Pool is in the chord book. Mm-hmm. This is not. It's actually, they even play a joke. There's like a little illustration that says like dot, 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 no data. 
And I was like really puzzled about it. And then you sent me that Brian Eno, what is it called? The track is called Zawinol Lava. It's on Brian Eno's Another Green World, which is my favorite Brian Eno album, I think. I mean, it's not a one-to-one match, but it's pretty close. It is pretty close at the very beginning. It right, goes I mean, somewhere. It's, it's just like... I mean, it's like those notes. Yeah. Basically. And then and that's then it, about it. Of course, Radiohead's version goes much darker. <laughs> right. Than Brian Eno's does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they stick really with the Dorian scale with this song which is like my favorite minor scale, I realize. Like the Dorian okay. is just a really cool scale. But what do you think about this one? I love this in general. Song. I love it. Okay. Everything about it. I mean, okay. <laughs> I love like how it just like pops up. I love that there's no words, that it just sort of like loops around and that it could keep going, right? And I would be fine with it keeping going for like hours and just like have this sort of like dark echo hopelessness looping in the background all the time i love how it's just like there it that it has no connection to dollars and cents really and no connection to what comes afterwards with like spinning plates like it's not so it's not a connective tissue track okay you like how it just stops the momentum Uh, yeah i mean especially like after (laughs) dollars and cents that it's just like completely brings you out of whatever was going on with that song it does not prepare you for what's coming next the best thing i read about it was from Brad Osborne's book. In its timbral, rhythmic, harmonic, and formal austerity, hunting bears offer scant avenues to interpretation. And he like also he he doubles down on that later in the in the, in the intro to Pyramid Song. You know, it's not um, fake plastic trees or hunting bears. The former is it's too straightforward, and the latter leaves nothing to interpret. Right. <laughs> So I guess he doesn't like it. No, I mean, I think that you, that's the way, though, that you just described it, that it kind of comes out of nowhere Mm -hmm. and it doesn't interact with the things that are around it. Because Tree Fingers is an instrumental track, but that one, you can interpret it in different ways. Like, Mm -hmm. I felt like I was going underground into the underworld or something. Whereas Hunting Bears, I mean, it should bring up all these associations with, you know, the band's logo and genetic modification. So, you know, the one of the symbols that they used a lot during this time was the this sort of angry bear. It was based on this idea of genetic modification of animals that Tom and Stanley Donwood were obsessed with at the time. But there's nothing really about the track that ties those two together even though it's called hunting bears yeah i also read about uh there's an article that you can get on jstor which is about training your ear for better pitch recognition just using radiohead because radiohead in general their music is at one time surprising but like also goes in a place where like that makes sense like it opens up something for you but it also makes sense like in the same way that like bach is maybe sort of formulaic but it's also new at the same time mm-hmm. which is what separates him from like hayden or something and he, they say specifically with this hunting bear song like that it stays in dorian but like that uh, there's no notes that surprise you and so you but it's still in an order that is sort of fascinating and so like and not an order that's straightforward it's it helps you train your ear because like it stays within the scale but not necessarily in the way that you would expect it. 
So like you have to train your ear to like still adapt to that pitch. Like so it's not just like running up to scale of like Right. I mean like there's Right. I just really I love this track. I feel a little conflicted about it. I do like it. It's very alien sounding. I get why people don't like it, I guess. It's essentially just repeating one part over again, and then the second time has some, like, bass in it. And sometimes I wonder, like, why wouldn't they just put in the part, like, one part with the bass and then be done (sighs) instead of repeating it? But it's it wouldn't work if you just did that. Like, because I think that when the bass does come in, it's really, it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. But you have to pay very, very close attention to it. I guess it comes in at the end of the first time through. You need it not to be there so that it can come in. If you don't have the part without the bass, then the bass is not as effective. And then it just sort of like deepens and like widens out this sort of weird world that I feel like this song with very few notes creates. I'm surprised how much I do like it. I thought I would come to this track and be like, ugh, like, ugh, I don't know, man. (laughs) You know, but it is a really beautiful song. And I think that comparing it to the Brian Eno composition is fascinating because that Brian Eno one is just so beautiful and other, it feels so almost heavenly. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is the opposite, even though it kind of uses the same first sequence of notes. Yeah, what do you what do you think about that in general? That it uses the same first sequence of notes. I mean, like, cause you just sent me you sent me a message that was like, hmm. (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, Nick has something to say. (laughs) Well, it actually made me like the song more. I feel like it's a modern interpretation of this classic nerd music lover canon, you know. But I don't know what that says about me that I like the song more now that it has this Brian Eno connection. <laughs> like, that's pretty insane to say out loud. But I, I just think that it takes that phrase and then turns it into a Radiohead song by making it very dark. It's like appreciating a poem or a book more when you realize what it's referencing and you understand what everything in like the love song of Jeff and Poofrock is referring to. I find it always interesting, like when is it referencing and when is it like quasi plagiarism? I mean, because they got they got accused of plagiarism with Creep. Uh, it's hard to listen to one song and then the other song and be like, are these really the same song? Whereas like the Brian Eno and then Hunting Bears, you're like, ah, yeah, this is the same notes. Like very easy. Right. What is referencing? What is like having influences and what is stealing? Because like lately, musicians have been trying to sort of even patent the vibe. Right. Um, So like there's this Olivio Rodrigo track. The vibe is sort of the same as a Paramore track from about 10 years ago. Instead of going to court, they just like put Paramore on as like co-writers, even though like the courts aren't even the same. That's what they do now is you just give everyone writing credit. Yeah. And it seems insane. I find I'm embarrassed by how much I kind of like Olivia. It's good stuff. I mean, she's she's (laughs) representing the light skinned Hispanics. Like, Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm like obligated. uh, You're obligated to to like like her. I I just like how dismissive it is or like angry. Yeah. No, Um, it's a wonderful album. I like it. I feel weird listening to it. I don't listen to it that much because I feel like I'm not supposed to. Yeah, I feel I'm like a bit 39 like years old. Old, dirt, dirty guy. 
this song has actually increased in appreciation for me. Oh, that's good. This is what I want more of Amnesiac to be like, I guess. I would take more of these kind of tracks. They could take out dollars and cents and mm -hmm. put in more of these tracks that are just to fill up the same number of minutes. I mean, because dollars and cents is a long song. Yeah. All right, let's okay. move on yeah. to the next song, which is Like Spinning Plates. This version of the song, I like the live version of the song. I like how high his voice gets. I like how the song starts and it's like, it sounds like somebody's like wasps are eating something and it's my ears, <laughs> but like very quietly, like not buzzing around. I don't know. Uh huh. The music like sort of surges in. Ah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get the basics out of the way first. So this is like spinning plates is actually started its life as I will, and Tom said it sounded like dodgy craft work because the synth line that Ed had put together. And then they decided to flip the song and put it in reverse, and he liked how that sounded more than it did before. And so he created whole new lyrics, and I agree with Tom York. This sounds amazing backwards. Or, I mean, I think it really all comes down to that synth line is just... You have the sort of the skittering drums in the beginning, like I guess that would be like wasps eating your like, brain, I guess. Yeah. But then that the synth line going backwards though is the part that is absolutely mesmerizing. Haunting. This is, I think, should win the climbing up the walls award for amnesiac. The sound of all of this together is just breathtaking. Yeah. That's exactly what I wanted from this album. Like, I mean, it's barely a song, sort of a verse, and then two choruses, and then goes back out, right? Like, yeah. it sort of, like, swells. It's like a tide that comes in, is there, and then subsides. And it has, like, a one of the catchiest sort of melody lines, like the spinning plates, but it's barely a song. And I really dig that. So on the Kid Amnesia bonus disc, they have a version of this song on there and it has the piano which they do when they do the live version it's because obviously how would you play the song <laughs> if you couldn't and as you mentioned earlier the live version is very beautiful and it's a it's an amazing part that took me forever to learn on piano and i had to record like the left hand all the way and then record the right hand because like I couldn't pair them up. So Tom has officially leapt above my piano skills it with this song. It was his job. <laughs> <laughs> he had a little more time to practice than I do when I'm yeah. trying to play guitar as well. But in, the, in that Kid Amnesia version, there's actually a first verse. What I love about it is that they were like, yeah, let's just cut it. The song actually starts, the singing doesn't happen until like a minute or two in. Yeah. 
And it's like they created this whole universe to get lost inside of before you hear Tom. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when you hear Tom, you realize he's singing backwards. (laughs) So when his voice comes in, so he sang the song once, how he wanted it to be. Then they flipped the record and he learned how to sing it backwards. They recorded that and then flipped it around. And so that's why his voice sounds so bizarre and not quite right. In the chorus, a forward-facing voice comes in. A regular voice, a voice that's recorded normally, comes in to sort of reach those high notes. But it gives that's what gives the song such a strange alien atmosphere. I was very excited to hear about the Kid Amnesia version with the piano, but that version is not nearly as good. Not even close. I mean, I think that it's interesting to hear the piano, but then they got rid of Ed's synth, so it doesn't have that... Right. (laughs) Which is probably the best part of the song. You can go on YouTube and you can find someone who has reversed like spinning plates... And you can hear what that synth line sounded like forward, like at the beginning. And it is very interesting. It's a very interesting uh, line. But backwards, it's like there's no form to it. I mean, which is weird, right? Like, I don't understand why it works that way. Like, why doesn't the form of the or of the melody line fall apart just when you do it backwards? I mean, because I feel like you could play other pieces of music backwards and it's just... You would recognize what it was even right. backwards. Yeah. Or it would have like, it would still have a form. Tom, in a quote, says, it's the spinning plates is the best of all the record for me. When I listen to it in my car, it makes the door shake. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to say that I think my one small sort of like, not claim to fame, but like that piano version that's on, I might be wrong, is I was at that concert the first time he did oh. it. Wow. I always thought that I was, and I looked it up and I was like, yep, that was the concert I was at. So did you have any idea what he was playing when it first started? No, I mean, that's why I knew that it was the concert that I was at, because I looked at all of the track listings before I went to, like, to know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't on those track listings. And then Tom comes out and he just starts playing on the piano. And everyone's like, it's really pretty, but everyone's like... Uh, what's going on right and then some guy in the crowd shouts it's spinning plates (laughs) right and you can hear that on the recording oh Um, really if you listen really closely you can hear that somebody shouts like it's spinning plates and then the everyone goes nuts right oh my gosh yeah and then like it was almost as though tom had been waiting for the crowd to recognize it because then he like launched into singing and then every you know then everyone went really crazy okay i have a few more things But did you know there was an Isaac Hayes sample on this? No. So in the sort of beginning part, there's a, you can hear some like Rhodes piano, like Rhodes Mm -hmm. Fender piano, and like a drum, like a cymbal that's going forwards. This is so weird to have to like specify what is forwards and what is backwards (laughs) in a song, but this is the kind of song we're in. Because it's when Colin used to play records while they were recording these songs to get Mm. a vibe. I think it was at the Sands. It's a live Isaac Hayes album. And then Colin, Colin actually is the key behind this song because he's also the one 
he heard a BBC4 radio program about a British composer who had been experimenting with backwards singing, and he was the one that recommended that to do that. Ah, oh, Colin. So, Colin, well done, sir. Yeah. Well done. So, the only thing I have with this song, <laughs> which I love dearly, it's like two amazing closing tracks, and just think about if they put this song as like the first song, like the opening track. Do you, can you imagine how thrilling that would be if no, you got Amnesiac? No, no and that then, is like one of the worst takes you've ever had <laughs> in your life. Put this song at the beginning. No. Yeah. Oh, Nick. Oh, Nick. Think about it. No. <laughs> at the beginning. No, 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 no. This needs to be a track that is buried that then like sneaks up on you and like attacks you like not not at the beginning you need to be completely unprepared yeah it can't be on an opening track i could almost see the argument that it is more of a climax like second to last track on kid a it almost seems like more of a kid a song mm. I'm pain to say that <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like it could, it sort of lives between the Kid A version of Morning Bell and Motion Picture Soundtrack. So I could listen to that argument, but opening track. No. What are spinning plates, by the way? I mean, isn't that an expression? Don't you say, like, I have, like, a lot of plates up in the air? Like, I'm spinning lots of plates. Like, I mean, like, there was a museum, it's, it's a circus act, right? Where, like, there's a person actually spinning plates on top of these, like, metal rods. And it's about, like, how many plates can they keep spinning at, at once? And then it has become this metaphor for people that want to do everything like us. You know, we have, uh, we're parents, we have jobs, we have a podcast. I'm trying to write a book. You were eating um, and cooking all the time. I mean, like, we have all these plates up in the air that we're spinning around. And we're running back and forth to just keep them spinning. I don't know how it connects to the verse. It does connect. I mean, like, I feel like my body's floating down a muddy river, right? Like my, this, this idea that your mind is like going in all these directions at once, like spinning these things around, but like, you're not paying attention to physically where you are. Like you're just being sort of carried off in like life in this muddy place. And you're not caring enough as to what you're, body is physically doing because you're too worried about like the things that you should be doing or are doing or not doing well enough or not keeping up with that i mean it's really it's a really effective indicting lyric i find yeah i love the i'm living in cloud cuckoo land (laughs) right (laughs) it's like i'm not living in a cloud cuckoo land i'm living in cloud cuckoo which is an andy dower book it came out much later and I was trying to find it if he was referencing this song when he lamed his book it's, the book's called uh-huh. Cloud Cuckoo Land Cuckoo Birds are devious because I, I knew about it but like I watched this movie called Vivarum and it like opens up with like actual footage of how the cuckoo bird lays its egg in another bird's nest and then the cuckoo bird like hatches first and pushes the other birds out and then the but the original the mother or the father of the birds that are now dead continues to feed the cuckoo bird even when it gets much bigger. Hmm. And I mean, it's just this, like, sort of the horror show of nature. 
Like, that sounds very Radiohead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, you know, cause they're like, this is natural. Like it was not even genetically modified. Like it's just what they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and wow. like you've heard this metaphor, right? Like that's why it's called like, uh, in, in Germany, even say like Kuckuckskind, you know, like you, when you have a child who is the father, who is the son of, or daughter of another person who's not the father. Like, or like when you've been cuckolded comes from the cuckoo bird. Oh. Somebody, somebody lay in your, somebody laying their eggs in your nest. Well, yeah, it's a, it's an amazing song. I did not play it on guitar. I don't, the, what, what's in the chord book is not right. It's only one part of it. They don't even have notes for most of it. I mean, they don't have, they just say no chord, no chord, right? But like there are chords yeah. and that, if you can look them up and it sounds pretty good to just mm-hmm. sort of pick your way through it. It is fun. It's like, but I got more into the piano part of it for some reason. The chorus is just like, it's fun. It's like, I mean, if I could sing like Tom, it'd be really fun. Cause like, you can kind of like do it like once, like, this just feels like and then really high. <laughs> But it's like fun actually to play it if you can yeah. get all the chords down. I mean, like I also did the piano part on guitar, like. All right, so let's move on to the last uh, track on the album, Life in a Glass House. Austin, we've had a lot of issues with jazz. You have sort of explained, and especially with the sort of blues scale. Mm -hmm. And this is a song that's sort of modeled on or New Orleans funeral jazz. So how do you feel about this one? Well, I have to say that I was behind in my preparation for this episode because you sent me those Louis Armstrong tracks and I could like not stop listening to his albums. Cause I don't really ever, I mean, I don't know if I should say it. I'd only listened to <laughs> Louis Armstrong from hello, Dolly. That was your only experience. Yeah, that was my only, and, that's my only exposure. And, and like, like what a wonderful world and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. Right. And like, I'm like, okay, I know that song. I don't need to listen to Louis Armstrong. I mean, but man, it, yeah the guy's a genius yeah he's an amazing it, ge- like, genius ev- I mean like everything <laughs> oh, it's so good I, I, between like I want jazz to either just be this or I want it to be that uh, John Coltrane Ascension Ascension I just want I want that I want Louis Armstrong or I want John Coltrane I mean Alice Coltrane too but I don't know if that's uh-huh. jazz still it's sort of jazz I guess right um, At some point, what qualifies as jazz kind of gets very. Wobbly. If everything can be, yeah. If everything can be jazz, then what is jazz? Yeah. Um, wow, that is very surprising, and makes me very happy, Austin. Yeah, I'm I very mean, you happy know, for you. Yeah, I've I've grown as a person uh, during this podcast. I can now I I like very specific types of jazz. 
He would just condense notes in a way that was just astonishing. There's so much going on behind the notes. Like, it's almost like the way that he plays, you can tell, you can also hear all the notes that he didn't pick because of the way that he picks the notes and then sequences them and then, like, even condenses some of them. Like, you realize, like, he had all these other ideas and then, like, boiled it down to one. It's like like the difference Mm -hmm. between, like, a poem and a thousand-page book, right? Like, a poem just, like, has these words in it, but you know, to talk about it, like, or it's drawing from such a deep well of vocabulary and possibility. And like, I just feel like that's how his trumpet playing sounds like. There's all these, you hear the potential and possibility of all the other notes in the notes that he plays. So for the song, they brought in Humphrey Littleton, who was (laughs) in his seventies and had just had like open heart surgery and brought his band to play. So essentially, this is his band playing mm-hmm. with Tom singing. Uh, Johnny might be playing the piano. Tom's playing 100- the piano. Tom's playing the piano. Okay. Yeah. And so they just were like trying to figure out what would be the best way to play this song. Because it's a very old song. I think the arrangement sounds a lot like Louis Armstrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds way- like um, St. James Infirmary, that one you sent me. He- yeah, St. James Infirmary is the one song I was thinking of. There's always instruments playing on one side or the other, and then all of a sudden, the trumpet will come in. <laughs> right. What do you mean when you say that Life in a Glass House is an old song? Life in a Glass House, if you remember, they actually played it during the Meeting People is Easy times. You are right. And so they had been fiddling with this song. I mean... I guess it was around during the OK Computer, and it was mm-hmm. on that mini-disc leak. There was a version of it. I right. don't think it had all the parts, so it wasn't like it was a finished song that they just couldn't figure out. Mm-hmm. But the chords feel like an older Tom song, too, because yeah. they're just wonderful chords. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Especially the verse is just, uh, I started playing it and I was like, yes. Yeah, it's like, that, how did you, did you play with the pick or with fingers? I was playing with a pick. Did you play with I fingers? Think like... Ooh. Found so that's life. a great chord. And then the the one that I love, I mean, I love all of these chords. The C minor six. You should turn the oh. And then it gets to the E flat G. And then a G minor. And then it ends on an F sharp diminished seven. I have never played that chord before in my life. So I was already down with this song before we started, and then when I, when I got to playing it on the guitar, I was just like, "This is this is it. This is all I need." Yeah. Are these like really crazy jazz chords? I'm I'm 100 percent here. What I also find fascinating about this song is like you have these crazy jazz chords, right? Yeah. And then, but then the chorus is these straightforward major mm-hmm. chords, right? But then yeah. also that's been like the. New Orleans funeral dirge part like kicks in, right? And it's like mm-hmm. it's like the most jazzy part is over these with these chords that aren't so jazzy as the in comparison to the verse chords. I find that just juxtaposition awesome. 
And at first I thought like, ah, oh, this is something like Radiohead's doing. But like when you go and look at the chords for St. James Infirmary, they're also quite straightforward. I mean, like there's one version where it's like... Louis Armstrong version is in D minor. But, um... So when the first chorus comes in and the horns are blaring, it's just amazing. And then you don't think they have anything left to give. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to the second chorus, it just is like there's... 20 of them all of a sudden it's like they they're such a great band that they were able to hold the dynamic back mm-hmm. and you didn't just even, like, enough yeah i didn't even realize that they're holding back a dynamic because like that first right. chorus is just like yeah, yeah you're like oh the first chorus you're like they gave it their all and then you realize they didn't even come close yeah. to it and then when tom's singing like only 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 that's mm-hmm. just about as good as Amnesiac gets, I think. God, I mean, it's as good as like Radiohead gets, I think. I'm not saying that it's the best. I mean, it's it's the top, one of the top moments of their career. Mm-hmm. It's like. <laughs> and most of the band isn't there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's still a Radiohead song. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. It is. I mean, one of my favorite movies is Children of Men by okay. the director Alfonso Cuaron. This song makes a diegetic appearance. Like, it's in the movie. Like, not as a soundtrack, but, like, at one point when he goes to Jesper's house um, to help, like, transporting the girl away, and, like, he's just smoking weed, and, like, this is what's, this song is playing in the background. Other people understand, like, this song, you know, in a, 30 years in a dystopia is still going to be a song that people listen to. Because it's amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Apparently, it was Tom was Tom was inspired by this this woman who the press were hounding, and she put up papers on their house, like newspapers up on the windows mm-hmm. of her house to like uh-huh. kind of show how crazy it all was being, you know, because the newspaper photographers were trying to take pictures of her. But you can interpret it in a number of different ways, and especially now, it seems more relevant than ever with right. someone listening in. Yeah. Well, and also like that, this third verse where it says, like, once again, we are hungry for a lynching. Lynching's a loaded word. We probably should recognize it. Like, it's usually referring to, like, black people being lynched in Jim Crow South. I mean, but it's also the word that is used, like, when social media mobs just decide to, like, take somebody down. Not cancel them, but like, you know, make their life quite miserable if you care at all about what people are saying about you. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like people love it. I mean, like there's just like, there's like Twitter accounts that you can check. They're just like they're looking for the next person that they can more or less string up for what they said or. Yep. Like going back and like, look what I found. And like this old interview from like 2002, you know. <laughs> I So I, I definitely did say that. Pack Like Sardines was the least impressive Radiohead opener, mm-hmm. but there's a chance that this is the best Ooh. Radiohead closing track. I would, I, I agree, but I'm just shocked that I, I was going to say this. <laughs> um, better than, for you, better than Motion Picture Soundtrack and um, The Tourist. 
Yeah, I like it better than the churis. Man, because um, you 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 like that song. I love the churis. No, I mean this <laughs> song is amazing. This is an amazing yeah. song. It's just yeah. This is where we don't have. I don't know if we keep this in. This is where like that Haydn book lost me. He just like completely dismisses his song. Oh, okay. He calls it like something like Tom. I didn't even want to look it up again. It's like a Tom Waits wannabe track. Mm, which, that's ridiculous. Uh, which is ridiculous. And also like, uh, if you want to be like Tom Waits, that's also fine. <laughs> <laughs> but when it gets to the, the, there's someone listening in and mm-hmm. then it's so quiet. And then all the, the, the horns, like just sort of have their dying last yeah, yeah. wail. <sighs> it's just incredible. Yeah. I do love motion picture soundtrack too. And I think that that, track works much better on kid a than this track would work on kid a mm-hmm. just showing you how different those albums are right but if i had to pick my favorite closing track even though i haven't listened to the rest of the oh i haven't listened to the rest of the future album so i won't make that declaration yet but of the ones we've learned so far it's my favorite closing track okay so we have a lot of b-sides to cover with next episode, should we do our best of the amnesiac right now? And then the next episode just be a crazy B-side extravaganza. extravaganza. Sure. go through the categories again right we have the creep award which we reluctantly because we're men say is the best song even if it's not our favorite correct then we have the blowout award which is our favorite then we have the i can't as in i can't believe how good this song is award we don't have the b-side award because we haven't done them yet so let's start with the uh, i can't award ah we're going backwards. Yeah, let's go backwards. Mine's going to have to be uh, spinning plates. Okay. And that, like, your memory sort of, like, splits between the album version and the, the piano version, and they're really different. And so, but, like, when you really go back and concentrate on the album version and, like, what's going on and, like, what's forward and what's backwards and stuff and all of these things that shouldn't work and that's just still a phenomenal song... That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Mine is Polk Pole Revolving Doors. I I didn't know how this one would hold up, I guess, mm-hmm. because I always like I always like the song because it's it's very strange. But to see where all the different parts came from, I didn't know it had it was born out of another song that basically the scrap heap of True Love Waits. Right. Um be- became polk pole and that it would you know the this version is better than that version of true love waits which is that's a good point beyond fascinating Mm -hmm. and then they put all these other sounds in there and then the lyrics have this sort of children's book angle to it that when you really start paying attention it just becomes even more fascinating right so even though it's not like it it's hard to describe it as a song <laughs> it's uh it, it 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 turns out to be more interesting than i thought it would be that is a very surprising choice 
but okay. I completely agree <laughs> with its Good, selection. Okay, you right. go first. Uh, so are we going completely backwards? Or are we going blowout? We'll do the creep now. So we'll okay. Yeah, the best song is Pyramid Song. There's just yeah. Yeah, I don't okay. know how I just can... I will just say that as well. <laughs> right. It's just sort of one of those things that when you line it all up, you're just like, oh my god, like I can't even touch this thing. Yeah. It's so beautiful and so well done. I wasn't quite expecting it to be that blaringly obvious, like how great this song was. Yeah, I was I was likewise unprepared for how amazing this song is. I mean, because it's it's one of those songs I didn't have to I knew it. It lodges in your brain. Right, it's like it's right. not as though I had to relearn it. I had to. I didn't have to re-listen to it to be like, oh yeah, wait, what what happens in this part? Like I know what happens in the whole song, but you're still like if it, it has such depth to it that you could never get to the bottom of. The lyrics are incredible, and the performance is just you know that's exactly how that song should sound. I mean, it's such like a perfect circle of a song. It's a bit untouchable. Okay, so then we have our favorite, which is The Blowout. So you go first. Uh, I mean, for me, it's Life in a Glass House. I love that song. <laughs> and it's such a jazz song. And like, I didn't re I mean, I don't know why I would say that I beforehand that I didn't like jazz when I've always loved this song. But I think I just love it. I always thought it was very confusing because I knew you liked this song. That's what was weird, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I just I put it in different parts of my brain. I held it aloft from something like uh, who don't who don't I like? You don't like Miles Davis? No, I don't like Miles Davis. Sorry. See, that's to our crazy. podcast listenership. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like John Coltrane now, and I love Louis Armstrong. And um, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, this I can't say anything other. I, no other track could I say is my favorite than this one. Yeah. Um, mine is life in class. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know how much I loved this song. Honestly, I, I do really love knives out as well. That one, but that one is very, there's something very cold about it, which is on purpose, but with life in a glass house, they were able to crack that song completely open. They were able to take what was a very good song before. If you've heard it on just acoustic guitar but they were able to not make it. It's not a pastiche. Right. Like, it's not like, oh, let's have a jazz song. It was like, man, we can't figure this thing out. And then for some insane reason. This is a jazz band song. Like, Yeah. And that's just so bizarre. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if I would have said that before we started this. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. So what do you think about Amnesiac in general? Obviously, going through it like song by song. I mean, I'm still going to say that it's my favorite album so far. Wow. So you like it more than the Ben's OK Computer and Kid A. Yeah. Um, I mean, like some songs went down in estimation, mainly You and Whose Army and Dollars and Cents. Even though I still like to sit down and play You and Whose Army, I just also find it kind of like, oh, this is not as interesting as I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And Dollars and Cents is just sort of boring. But mm -hmm. other songs like went up. Like I might be wrong. I realized like how amazing that song is. And then, you know, these songs, the three songs that we just talked about. I do like uh, Pack Like Sardines. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Hunting Bears. 
You? I sort of have the same opinion I did about it before, and that I think that there's just some of their very, very best songs, and I will always remain frustrated <laughs> with the order. It just boggles my mind. I do like the album more than I did at the beginning. Basically, the songs that I was worried about, I was worried about for good reason, because mm -hmm. I ended up not liking them very much. Like Packed Like Sardines, You and Who's Army, Dollars and Cents. And then I, I, I do have some issues with I Might Be Wrong. But then I wasn't prepared for how great some of these songs are. And so my opinion is actually higher now because you look at Pyramid Song and you're just like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's outstanding. And Life in a Glass House is, you know, otherworldly. Mm -hmm. And Knives Out is just, my God, when those guitars sort of lock together at the end, at that chorus. I mean, it's a, it's a band at the height of their craft, I find. I just remain frustrated that it doesn't hold together as an album for me. Obviously, it's just my problem. <laughs> that sounds like a you problem. That sounds like a Not you problem. Not problem. I mean, I think OK Computer and Kid A are better when it comes to like the bends, like I don't even know how you compare Amnesiac to the bends. Yeah. But so basically we have all of the Amnesiac B-sides, which I believe there are seven official B-sides. Mm. That's the Amazing Sounds of Orgy, Transatlantic Drawl, Fast Track, Kinetic, Cut Tooth, Worry Wurt, and Fog. Then the Kid Amnesia adds, some of those are like, aren't, B-side, you know, like their sounds. And I don't think that we, don't we need, need to, to worry about yeah. that. But like there's, so there's another version of Fog. There's If You Say the Word, which we already talked about. Yeah. Follow Me Around. Do we have to talk about that song? <laughs> yes, we have to talk about okay. that song. So, but really that's it because the other one is the Polk Pole True Love Waits version. Right. And then- Which we've uh, talked about. And then the alter alternate version of Fast Track. And then there's like, strings pyramid strings and how to disappear completely strings and which are cool untitled which yeah. are cool which we can kind of talk about but we're gonna have a lot of things to, I mean, to but we have to. like basically we have 10 songs all the songs on the anyone can play guitar podcast are by radiohead and performed by nick kendallsberger and austin diaz mm -hmm.